0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'll tell you, it is interesting that we would start a series like the one we're starting today. We would design it this way and call it Tomorrowland, because it might make you think that this is going to be a series about theme parks, and it is not. That said, I did a little research, and 87% of Americans have been to a theme park or an amusement park in their lifetime at some point. Of those 87%, uh, 74% have visited a Disney park. Would you do me a favor? Would you turn to somebody around you, tell them the last theme park you've been to. Doesn't have to be a Disney one, any kind of amusement park, even if they're a stranger. Just say, Great America, Knott's Berry Farm, whatever you went to. Hopefully 87% of you match the rest of the population. All right, now, one more statistic, maybe the most significant statistic, one in five people who visited a Disney park said they went into debt to be able to do it. Yeah, those parks are expensive, and it seems like they get more expensive every year, but uh, people love them. Somehow we still think it's worth it. Now again, this series, I'll tell you, is not going to be a series on theme parks, it's not going to be on Disneyland, Uh, it is not about cartoon mice, it's not about $8 churros. Uh, I'm going to tell you more of what it's going to be about in just a minute, but the reason that we called it what we called it, we thought that Disneyland, and specifically Tomorrowland, might be a good place for us to start talking about something that I think matters to everyone in this room, whether or not Disney matters to you what God has next for you tomorrow. Okay, Tomorrowland is a fascinating concept. It's a fascinating Walt Disney choice to me. See, Walt Disney, when he built Disneyland, knew the power of nostalgia or reflecting back on the past and celebrating it and then presenting it in new ways, right? So if you look at the original lands that made up Disneyland, you got a lot of looking at yesterday. For example, Main Street, USA, Uh, That is a section you walk through when you walk into the park. Some of you know that was patterned after Walt's hometown, a a small town in Missouri, and it's set to look like that town looked in the early 1900s when Walt Disney was a child. It is a look back on the past. Um, Frontierland, exact thing, same thing. A whole part of the park that recreates the pioneer days on the American frontier. Um, I grew up in Chicago. I remember visiting California as a kid and going to Disneyland and going into this land and getting a very itchy Davy Crockett coonskin cap. All right. I loved Frontierland. Um, Adventureland. Uh, It's meant to recreate an exotic tropical place in a far off region of the world. But my favorite ride there is the Jungle Cruise. Uh, As you stand in line, it plays music from the 40s. It's nostalgia, a trip back to a time that I never even knew, and I still think of it as my past. Uh, Even Fantasyland, while it's not set in any sort of reality, it's built around a giant medieval castle, a castle from the 14th century. Walt Disney knew what he was doing. He knew this deep desire in all of us to look back at our past with nostalgia, to remember it fondly, even a past that we were never part of. Uh, You heard in that video some of his opening speech. Here, age relives fond memories of the past. But one thing that Walt Disney did when he created Disneyland was to create one land dedicated to the future, Tomorrowland. A place where people would get a taste of what the future might look like. And see, this is what fascinates me about Walt and Disneyland. That was a difficult task. Because it's easy enough to build something that looks like what it used to be, but it is much more difficult to reflect what it might someday be. Yet, in 1955 when Disneyland opened, they had an idea of how they were gonna do this. They would create a land set in the way off future of 1986. (laughs) <laughs> they imagined what they thought 1986 would look like. And it, it involved rockets that the everyday person would go to the moon uh, for work every morning uh, with that bubble around their head. And actually, they got some things right. Picture phones and television remote controls and microwave ovens. And they envisioned Autopia, which, which had this idea that in the future, people would drive cars next to each other uh, in the same direction on freeways. That wasn't quite happening yet in 1955. But, but guess what? By 1966, Tomorrowland was outdated. It needed a remodel. Tomorrowland looked like yesterday. And so they went and they built this. Okay, guess how long this lasted? Till 1998, where it was outdated again. And in 1998, another remodel happened. And today in 2022, we still have the 1998 version. And it just, it goes to show Tomorrowland will always be a challenge. It's far easier to think about yesterday, celebrate yesterday, have fond memories of yesterday, even whitewash yesterday, than it is to imagine a future that doesn't quickly feel like yesterday itself. And while this is not going to be a series about theme parks and you don't have to have prior Disney experience to get where we're going, I wonder how much of your life is spent thinking about yesterday as opposed to tomorrow. Yesterday, maybe you think of it fondly, for many of us though, yesterday also contains some regret. And it contains sadness, and it contains anger. Just those two emotions right there, sadness and anger, they're very much about yesterday. And uh, revenge is about yesterday. And jealousy is often about yesterday. Even fear, which is about tomorrow, usually has its roots in something that happened yesterday again i wonder how much of our emotional energy and effort goes into thinking about yesterday as opposed to focusing on tomorrow i was watching an episode of yellowstone the week after christmas i don't know how many of you watch yellowstone uh you should if you don't but there was this great moment where two characters were out on this lovely montana landscape they were having a heart to heart and one of them her name's beth she said to the other do you ever think about us, this is a married couple, and and, and Rip says, us is all I think about, which is so romantic, right? And and then Beth says, when we were kids, I mean, like when we were kids, you ever think about that? And he said, I think about now. I think about tomorrow, but I don't give much thought to yesterday. Beth said, yesterday is what eats me. And Rip said, baby, yesterday's what eats everybody. That's why I don't think about it. Now, I do believe that there is a time to think about yesterday, and certainly a time to think about today, but I also think tomorrow is in you. God created you to have a vision for tomorrow. When I say that, I mean a vision for your own life and what it's gonna be tomorrow. I mean a vision for your family, no matter how young your kids are, or old and out of the house, they a vision you have as a parent for your family for tomorrow, for your church, for our world. God created you to have a role in tomorrow. But there are some challenges that keep us from focusing on tomorrow. Okay, one of those we've mentioned, it's yesterday. The other, it's that we fill today with lots of diversions. We float through life taking what comes at us and we have to react to it. We gotta respond to it. it. Takes so much of our energy, we don't have much time left to think about tomorrow. But again, God has put tomorrow in you, whether or not you know it. It is crying out to you. And if I can just get a little bit more spiritual with what I'm talking about, vision. Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And while that's referring to vision for a larger collective group of people, it is also true of you in your own life. If you don't have a vision for tomorrow, you will start to wither. Now, I don't know what the tomorrow inside you is or the vision that God has in you somewhere, but if you're a person here who follows Jesus, can I tell you, whatever that vision is, here's what I know it's gonna do. It will outlast this world. It will transform time for you. It will change eternity for somebody, and it will advance God's cause on this earth for his glory, and it will change every next day of your life, every tomorrow from here on out. The Bible is story after story, person after person who caught God's vision. And just like God did with every single one of them, he's got a vision for you that he has put in you. And the goal of this series is to help you discover it, plan for it, focus on it, build towards it, realize it. And we're going to use the Bible to to help us do that. In fact, I want you to view this series as like an eight-step process toward your tomorrow. And each week, we're going to look at at stories or moments in the Bible where passages, passages where people find this vision and then move forward towards tomorrow with this vision. And, And here's, I'm going to ask you to do something today that is going to get you going on step one of this right away. I'm going to ask you to do it at the end of the message today, but I'm also going to ask you to do it right now. Would you be asking yourself, what dream about tomorrow has God put in me? What dream for tomorrow has God put inside me? In a second, we're gonna look at a moment in King David's life. It's really brief, but it begins with a dream. Not a literal one, he's not sleeping, but an idea that he has, that he is really excited about. If you are gonna step in tomorrow, it's gonna start with a dream. Now, real quick, Dave Harvey is an author who, he writes a lot about marriage and starting churches and leadership, and and he wrote in one of his books, he wrote this. For the past couple decades, I had a condition that kept me from sleeping well. The technical term was apnea, and so I went to see the doctor. The doctor said, I'll remove your uvula, and then you won't snore, you'll sleep better. Now, Dave writes, I didn't even know I had a uvula, but I freaked when he suggested its removal. For some reason, though, I let them do it. They cut out my uvula, and now I can sleep. But here's something I didn't expect. When I lost my uvula, I found my dreams. He writes, you see, because I never slept well, I never dreamed. I know experts would say that I dreamed and I just didn't know it, but that doesn't matter because I don't remember ever dreaming, not once. I was dreamless. That's a boring way to spend a night. I didn't even know I'd lost my dreams until I found them, or rather, they were returned to me. Actually, they were rescued, airlifted from some cold, lifeless crevice where dreams hibernate until the arrival of deep sleep, something like that. And this may sound strange, but it's true. My dreams were rescued by a guy with a scalpel. He finishes saying lots of people live without dreams. They move from one day to the next without the refreshing effect of a memorable dream, but there are dreams we lose that are much more significant than the one that I was losing. Not the REM kind of dreams, but the, the dreams that drive us when we're awake, the dreams that cause us to reach beyond ourselves, dreams that cause us to see beyond the present and to live for something more. If you are having trouble holding on to those types of dreams, He says, that's a real problem. So I'll ask it at the end, but I'll ask it again right now. What about you? What's your dream? If you don't have a clear idea about where you want to go, why you want to go there, it's difficult to sustain forward momentum into tomorrow. But everybody's got dreams. You've just got to rescue them. And let's just pause right there because when I say everyone, I mean everyone's got them, young or old, rich or poor, famous or nobody knows who you are. God has put a vision in you that begins with a dream. And so I'm gonna ask you today, even if you have less tomorrows left than the person sitting in front of you, if you have less money than the person sitting behind you, if you have less talent than the person sitting right next to you, what dream about tomorrow has God put in you? That dream might be about your marriage, what it's gonna look like tomorrow. In fact, it might be a shared dream that you have together. That's a good dream. That dream might be about your career and to what tomorrow might look like in it. That dream might be about your retirement and how you'll spend your time. Uh, if it is retirement, um, let me just say, I like to golf. I promise you, the dream God has put in you is not simply more golf. Uh, it is bigger than that. It might be a dream for your family Might be a dream for what school looks like the rest of this year or next year or the one after. This dream might be about your legacy. Today, I'm gonna ask you to leave here with a goal this week. Here's your goal. Identify what area your dream is going to be in. And maybe you're gonna have multiple dreams. If so, that's okay. Tomorrow can be about multiple things, right? I just want you to identify one or two or however many you want to identify. In these eight weeks, we're going to see what the Bible says you do with those dreams. How you get going with tomorrow. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's jump into the Bible right now. We're going to look at a moment in the life of David. It's a moment that he thinks about, he dreams about tomorrow. And we actually find it in 2 Samuel 7. Now, let me give you some backstory, all right? For hundreds of years, Israel had worshiped God around an elaborate tent constructed in the days of Moses. It was called the tabernacle. And they needed a tent because wherever they would worship, God needed to go with them. So they needed something portable. They were a people on the move often. But now this nation was occupying the land that God had promised them. They even had a capital city, Jerusalem. And the tent known as the tabernacle had seen better days. It was getting old, it was getting worn, and so David becomes king, and David moves into this luxurious palace, and in 2 Samuel 7, it says this, you can read along, it says, after the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent, and David right there, it's only two verses, David, has a dream what if God had a permanent place in the ark of the covenant had a permanent place where for centuries moving forward people will be able to come and worship God how is it that I have a palace to live in with all the finest things and that God I worship is housed in an old decaying tent I want to build God a temple Now, let me just say right here, obviously God did not exclusively dwell in this tent tabernacle, and after the temple got built, God did not dwell in that exclusively, and and, and let me say, you can worship God anywhere, including the barn we use for our our morning 9 a.m. service in the winter, uh, this prefabricated metal building you're in right now for this second service, and you can worship God lying on your couch as you watch this on YouTube. That's you I'm talking to you right now if you're watching. Or you can worship God sitting on BART, watching the service on your phone on the way to work tomorrow. In fact, you can worship anywhere at any time and God is present as you do. But within ancient Judaism, there was this understanding that God had to have a place to dwell. And that place was eventually born out of David's dream the temple, David dreams of a temple, the place to worship God. Now, you may not love that dream, a giant religious building where people come and they honor God, it's gonna hold the Ark of the Covenant. That doesn't particularly excite me either. Um, as a pastor, you might think that I would get excited about a religious building getting built, but look around, this is about as cheapest building as you can build, right? We might not get excited about a temple in David's dream, but that's not the point today. I'm not trying to convince you to have David's dream or even one like his. You've got your own dream for tomorrow, God has put inside you. But as we talk about how we find that dream, there are some things we can learn from David's about what your dream should be, could be. I mean, I've asked you to start thinking, what is the dream God's put in me? Okay, let's let David help, uh, his story help you narrow it down. See, what David does next is he starts to look for a place to build this temple and he chooses a very important place. About a 1,000 years earlier, the father of this family of people, Abraham, the one who started this nation, the, the, the person that God built Judaism out of, a 1,000 years earlier, God showed up one day on this mountain, Mount Moriah, where Abraham was about to sacrifice his only son, and God said, stop, I'm gonna give you a ram to sacrifice instead, and that day, a 1,000 years earlier, Abraham decided to call that place the Lord will provide. And so as King David thought about the location to build the temple tomorrow, he thought back on the past, on history, and he chose none other than Mount Moriah, where God provided. David built the temple tomorrow on yesterday. And and as you begin to think about what you're dreaming that God has next for you, I think one of the first things that you should know is that the new is built on the old. Future vision tends to come from past experiences. Future vision in your life tends to come out of your past experiences. Okay, think about your heritage. When I say that, I mean who you are, what you've been through, what you love to do, what you've lived through that you don't want anyone else to have to live through. Your background, your successes, your failures, what life has prepared you for next. The new is built on the old. What God has for you tomorrow is going to get built on who you were yesterday. So look at yesterday and see if it tells you anything about what your dream should be for tomorrow. Think back over your life and your mentors and your passions. In fact, it's even, it is even okay to think about what others have done, what their dreams were. David did that. Your dream doesn't even have to be original to be great. You might be the next link in a chain of dreams that person after person has been dreaming before you. But here's what you gotta know as you figure out this dream. Future vision tends to come from past experiences. The new is gonna be built on the old. All right. What else can we learn from David in his dream about how you find yours? Well, okay, David decides to build this temple on Mount Moriah. Makes sense. And one day he decides to go scope out some land on like the highest spot, and it is owned by this guy named Arana. Uh, Arana was a farmer and his land was at this very high spot on the mountain and Arana would thresh his wheat up on this spot and the wind would help separate the chaff from the wheat. This is a really good location. That's what you need to know. And David goes up to this spot on the mountain owned by Arana and he offers to buy this land. Take a look at 2 Samuel 24. Arana said, why is my Lord the king come to his servant? Why are you here? David answered, to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord. Now, just real quick, you know that David could have seized this land, right? I mean, he's the king. And this is really good use of someone's land. He could have enacted the ancient version of eminent domain. But instead, David offers to buy it. Verse 22, Arana said to David, Let my lord, the king, take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here's oxen for the burnt offering. Here's threshing sledges and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arana is telling you You can have all of it, I give everything to the king. Arana says, what are you doing? You're the king, I'll just give it to you. And I'll tell you what, if he had made that offer to you, you would have taken him up on it, and so would I. But here's what David does, verse 24. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And this is the next thing the Bible tells us as you figure out your dream. Dreams cost you something. Dreams are not free. In fact, can we all say that together? Dreams are not free. Now, when I say I cost something, they cost I don't mean money, although sometimes they do. I mean money and time and energy and criticism. They're going to cost you other opportunities you have to say no to. They're going to cost you friends who might doubt you. They may cost you that person who is helping you with your dream, but turns out to be hurting your dream, and you got to let them go. And we could keep going, right? We could come up with a long list of other costs. Uh, dreams cost you heartburn. Dreams cost you sleep that you're going to lose at night. Dreams cost you something. And, and actually, Jesus, Jesus at one point said something so smart about dreams and their cost. He said in Luke 14, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete this dream? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everybody who sees it's gonna ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Jesus knew that dreams cost you something, which is why he told us right here to consider the cost. As you think this week about tomorrow, what dream God has put in you, what next dream, would you think right now up front before we get too far into the series about what it might cost? Your time, your energy, your other opportunities. What will you have to say no to? And yes, maybe some of your money. What will it cost to see this dream through? Okay, so... David's dream for tomorrow is built on the past. He knows it's gonna cost something and he's willing to pay the price. Let me show you what happens next. Remember that prophet that David initially told his dream to, Nathan? I think that God should have a temple. Who am I to live in this palace while God is in a tent? Well, unfortunately, later that night, God speaks to Nathan and God is not so wild about David's idea. Um, Not the dream, he likes the dream, but see, David had a pretty violent past. And God decides he will not allow David to build this house for God because of his violent tendencies. And so God says to Nathan, you have to tell David something. You're going to be the one who breaks some bad news. Tell him, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He's the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In other words, David, I know you have this dream, and I'm on board with this dream, but I need you to know, it's not gonna go exactly like you think. Basically, David, you have some shortcomings, and they're going to delay this dream of me having a temple from happening the way that you think. The dream is good, but you've got some shortcomings. And and for most of us, for many people, the dream would go away. Right? We would go, the dream's for me to build a temple for God, and if I can't do it, I'll choose a different dream that I can see through all the way to completion. But David does not let his own shortcomings stop this dream. He says, if I can't do it myself, and if God wants my son Solomon to build it, then I will do everything I can to help Solomon succeed. I may not be in the driver's seat anymore, but I am not giving up on this dream. And this this is the next thing you've got to know as you figure out your dream. Dreams are not contingent on you getting rid of your shortcomings. You cannot give up on tomorrow because of personal shortcomings that you have yet to solve today. Every dream has its challenges. Sometimes those challenges are the dreamer themselves. And, and, and I wonder if some of you have dreams for tomorrow and what tomorrow can look like in your marriage, in your career, in your retirement, but what is, what is keeping you from stepping forward with those dreams is that you know that there are things wrong with you that you think are going to keep the dreams from happening. Um, one 65-year-old writer said this. This is so good. He said... One of the lessons I've learned in in six and a half decades of life is very few dreams should go on hold while you improve the shortcomings of your life. To be sure, there are times when you need to stop what you're doing and focus on conquering a flaw. But if you wait till all your shortcomings are remedied, your dreams will die. I think that's true. Even with his shortcomings, David decided to start Building, because dreams are not contingent on you getting your act together. They're not contingent on you making everything in your life work the way it's supposed to all along. You getting rid of all your sin. Dreams are not contingent on you getting rid of your shortcomings. Okay, David has got a new dream built on the old. His future vision is built on past experiences. He knows it's gonna cost him something, willing to pay the price. In fact, he insists on paying the price for his dreams. He's not letting his shortcomings stop the dream from moving forward. And he gets, he gets to the end of his life. And he knows that he will not be the one to build and enter this house of God, the temple. And so he calls in his son Solomon. We see this in 1 Chronicles 28. And it says, King David rose to his feet in front of the kingdom. And he said, listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans, I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you're a warrior and you've shed blood. And he said to Solomon, consider now, Solomon, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and go do the work. And then, this is the good part, David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the dedicated thing. David hands over the blueprints. Now, we, we could say after reading what we just read that the one thing about dreams is when we're done, we hand them to someone else, and they become our legacy, and that may be true, but that's not the point I want to make today. Uh, maybe week eight, we can get into that, but we're just in week one. We're in the dreaming stage, not the handoff stage. You now what I want you to see with David's dream is he's got plans. He's got blueprints, And this is incredibly important because a dream is not just a vision. It is not just a hope. It is not just a picture you picture that you get very excited about. Dreams have a plan. Dreams are hopes with a blueprint. Would you say that with me and let's say it together loud, okay? Dreams are hopes with a blueprint, And as you take some time this week to answer that question, what dream about tomorrow has God put in me? Part of how you're gonna answer that question is not just, what am I passionate about? Or what experience have I had in the past that that makes this the right dream for me? Or what shortcoming am I willing to acknowledge? Or what cost am I willing to pay? But what blueprint am I able to get started on that goes along with the hopes that God has put in me. I don't mean that you gotta have it all figured out, but is this hope something that I can create a blueprint for, that I can even start a blueprint for? Because if it is, then it might be the dream about tomorrow that God has put in you. All right, every single day, 23,000 scheduled flights take off and land at American airports. Uh, At any given time, 5,000 of those airplanes are simultaneously airborne. That's kind of a crazy thing to think about, 5,000 American planes up at once. That means approximately one million people are flying 300 miles per hour at 30,000 feet at any given moment. Okay, in 1878, that truth about the world we live in now would have been in Tomorrowland, right? But in 1878, two brothers had a dream when their father A pastor, by the way, uh, (laughs) brought home this unique toy that you see in this upper left corner. Uh, Using a rubber band to twirl its rotor, a miniature bamboo helicopter flew up into the air. Now, their toy broke after a few flights. (laughs) But instead of giving up on it and going on to the next toy, the Wright brothers made their own. And this dream of flying was conceived. 25 years later, Orville Wright himself went airborne for 12 gravity-defying seconds in the first powered piloted flight in history. And at this point, it's almost impossible to imagine life as we know it without airplanes. But like every innovation, every revolution, every breakthrough, somebody had to dream first. And I'm sure that it never crossed their minds, but their dream is the reason why a million people are speeding through the sky right now. It was two pastor's kids, Wilbur and Orville, who dreamed and invented air travel. This is where dreams take us, all of us. Because by the way, the dream about tomorrow that God has put in you, it's not really just for you. God uses the dreams that he puts in you to change the world, somebody's world, to accomplish his purposes. So the question for you today, what is your dream for tomorrow going to be? On your way out, we're going to give you some pieces of paper that are kind of shaped to look like e-tickets, and uh, and they're going to remind you of this question so you can begin asking it this week. I just want you to put it somewhere in your house, put it in your car, have it lying around so when you see it, you go, oh, have I answered that yet? I want to invite you to spend this week picturing a dream, maybe writing it down if you can. It does not have to be a full blueprint, right? Don't let this overwhelm you. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. Just narrow it down. Narrow it down to a category first. Is it my career? Is it my marriage? Is it my friendships? What dream about tomorrow has God put in me? Now, can I challenge you as you do this? Do not settle for diversions. Vacation this summer is not the dream that God has put in you. More golf is not your dream. Those may be nice. You may want to do them. You should do them. But the tomorrow, I'm telling you, the tomorrow that God put in you, he wants to talk to you about over this eight-week series, is bigger than your trip to the Caribbean this summer. He has a tomorrow in you. I cannot wait for you to discover what it is. All right, we'll give you these on the way out. Would you stand with me and we'll pray together? God, We call you by so many names, we refer to you in so many ways, we talk about how creative you are, how merciful you are, how mighty you are, but I am reminded today that you are a dreamer. You are always envisioning a new tomorrow built on our past. In fact, you are such a redeemer that you redeem our past for a new, better tomorrow. And I would ask this morning as people who were created in your image, that this part of your image, the visionary, would be found in us. God, as we leave this week to ask where you might have put a dream inside us, would you make it so abundantly clear that as we come back next week, we are ready to get on with what is next with this dream? God, we love you for creating us this way, and for being so excited about our tomorrows, not just a God who thinks about yesterday. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, one other thing on your way out. It's a new series. Whenever we start a new series, we have donuts afterwards. You can go get donuts in the courtyard. There's a cost to the donut, which is that you grab a different card with a question, and you make sure you find someone else eating a donut and you talk, all right? Thanks for coming this week. We'll see you.